Here we go. So, uh, good to see you as always. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> like you haven't seen me in know, months. Exactly. It's true. Uh, well, you know, I traveled yesterday, so maybe I missed you because I was gone Monday night and all day Tuesday and limped in half dead on Tuesday night. I've seen you all day today. You haven't seen me all day today. Mm. I've been in the office next door, but with the doors open, but completely engaged in different things. So anyway. nice to see you. Yeah, jeez, would have been just easy <laughs> to say nice to see you back, but that's fine. Um, so interesting. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were probing me aggressively about the automation division mm-hmm. and why, and and it was someone that wasn't a hundred percent familiar with our space or what we do, or but for whatever reason, the idea that we were in packaging for eighty three years prior and decided to get into automation just didn't seem to fit. Like to their way of thinking wasn't aligned. And I thought, well, that makes sense, but let me explain it to you. And just proceeded down this idea of, and the questions were, did you feel the need to, to grow? And, and you thought, I know automation, or were you looking for a revenue stream or what was the driver? And the simple answer was, it was that there was enough demand and customers that mattered to us kept asking me the same question over and over again. Can you help us? Can you do this? Our, our labor pool is either unreliable in quantity or quality. Um, our productivity is such that we can't keep up with orders or so on and so forth. And the simple answer was no, I was just listening for demand. And having said no so many times, got frustrated and decided to take it upon ourselves to create the supply because we had been partnered with people in automation and we were relying on other people to do our controls work and some of the more technical aspects. And I got sick of it. So after a while, I finally said, we need to do this. You know, we're going to continually put ourselves at risk if big customers say, can you do this? And if we continue to say no, and somebody from our space like packaging says, yes, we could be jeopardizing all of our packaging business in the process. So the answer I finally got, I I say tired. I mean, there's a frustration because I hate saying no. and, And even the idea that that would be a loss and finally thought, I need to do this. You know, we need to, we need to make this investment. At times we're going to be faking it until we become it. And that was really where that came from. It was out of two things, right? There was an offensive play as related to filling demand. But there was also a defensive play because I thought, oh, man, if somebody that looks like us beats us to this space, it could jeopardize all of our core 90 year type business. So then I was just thinking, you know, and then a lot of times when I have conversations like that, it, I then spring to your business or the construction component of it and think, I wonder how, you know, w- what's that going to look like for Brit? Or if I fast forward seven years from now or eight years from now, because a year from now you have an idea what's that going to look like? Or what do you think it would be that would, you know, pull you to, um, a different revenue stream or just growth in general? Revenue. Oh man, I knew <laughs> it as soon as I heard I, myself. I, I was like, Oh my revenue. gosh, no tongue, get it together. <laughs> She's going to blow me up over this. Maybe I'm just thirsty. Um, I, I would, before I, I don't know if that was a question or before you ask your question, I think it would be a good thing to take one step back because when you say automation, there's a lot of people that don't are thinking robots or flying vehicles you know what yeah, sure. what does automation mean to you in your space what does your division do because right. automation means a lot of things to a lot of different people yeah. so i think that's important to disseminate great point so i'll even back up just one further so um go back 
seven years ago, which would have put us uh, in the 2015-16 timeframe. So we're coming into the era before the pandemic and unemployment is ratcheting down, you know, 4%, 3.53. I think unemployment nationally hit 3.4% as a low at one point. So our customers are saying to us, I can't get people, my overtime is out of control, so on and so forth. What can you do to help us? And really that meant, do you have machines of some kind at your disposal that can help me um, speed up or make these more mundane and packaging, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of end of line type things. Think about setting up a box, putting this stuff in it, closing it um, to be really rudimentary. But that's all very labor intensive and really non value add. I mean, if you're in a manufacturing plant, the things that go into making the widget are value add. Everything else that's not that are non value add. So a lot of times they'll start with the packaging guy and say, hey, packaging guy, what can you do about this big pile of widgets? at the back of the line that we can't get out. And sometimes if it's a, in those days prior to building this out, there are machines that are pretty simple that you can almost reach off the shelf and say, oh, you need this machine that will close the box and it does it faster than your humans and that pile goes away. And Stock, we're, not we're custom. The piles. Yeah. For or, or adjustable enough yeah. that you can accommodate a bunch of different sizes. So, but then customers, but then it gets, it got more complicated because they were starting to um, struggle to get certain types of employees that were in the process actually making the widget. So it would be, uh, Mick, you've done a nice job on the end of the line. You seem to have solved these problems for us, which problems in the manufacturing world are usually a constraint. There's a pile, right? And something's blocked and there's a pile that gets formed by that blockage, or the only option is to throw heads and people at it to keep it under control, which which isn't sustainable cost-wise. So it was, Mick, can you go upstream into the process, and can you help us up there too? And many times the answer, because we just didn't have the talent internally to Arnold Packaging, because it would have you building machines or tying multiple machines together even, which is called integration, um, we didn't have that, that skill set or that superpower in-house. So that's that automation component. And really what we're doing there is, is I don't love the word automation. It's about productivity, right? So it's looking at input and output, input being manpower, output being the widgets that you make at a minute, a, 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 an hour, whatever, um, and improving upon that, decreasing the input, increasing the output, but usually it's both. So we tend to use automation as a way of doing that, which would have you thinking about robots and cameras and and autonomous guided vehicles and crazy nerdy stuff like that. Um, But really those are just tactics that are tied to the strategy of improving productivity. So that's, it's called automation, but really what that group is doing is making our customers more efficient by pulling the edges on input and output. Yeah. And that's something I learned. I think it's important that people understand automation can include cameras and conveyors and some of the simpler, now they can be complicated in nature, but some of the simpler things, it's not always these 
robotic arms and AGVs and, you know, there's 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 a lot of different things. As you said, in your eyes, automation is making a customer more productive, yeah. period. I think that's a really simple way to look at it and, and can, interesting. Let, let me give you a really, a, a day, there's two great um, day-to-day examples that everybody experiences that they probably don't think of it that way. But if you think about when we got automatic teller machines a bazillion years ago, if you're on the bank side of that, then you look at that and say, well, I've, I've removed all of my input, right? I no longer have any people dispensing cash, um, but I get the same amount of cash out that I used to. So that would be improving their productivity because they held output constant and they reduced and or eliminated input. The Safeway looks at self-checkout the exact same way, Mm -hmm. where the same number of groceries are getting out their door and they're selling the same amount of product, but they've removed the input that is the cashier. So we're doing the exact same thing in in the industrial manufacturing or distribution world and it all comes down to productivity excel. I mean, I could go on for days about tools that have come out that nobody really looked at the same way because they didn't look at the automobile production line and go, "Uh uh-oh, yellow robot arm in, John out. That was all very quietly done, whether it was the bank teller or the cashier. Now it's becoming a lot more, there's a lot more sensitivity uh, and a lot more acknowledgement of it but it was much quieter. No one said a word when Microsoft developed Excel and cleaned out the back offices with accountants and, and, that, and that whole piece. So um, it's all over the place, but that productivity component is what we really solve for on that side of the business. But a long answer to, we really just were tired of, of ignoring the demand that was there and finally decided to create the supply, which was difficult, but um, the absolute right thing to do for our business and all the synergies that go between the two. Mm-hmm. I, I look at that as when you were asked, and I'm sure I'm making assumption here, but I think this is probably correct in that when you were asked to do some of this automation prior to six, seven years ago, you may have said yes sometimes, and you would subcontract that work out to somebody capable, a partner capable. And that is really relevant to what what I'm trying to do when I'm looking at our growth strategy for Tegler Construction and Supply going on seven years now. And we, for so long, we've done, we've done a lot. So, right, we, we sell specific products, building material products. And as we've been asked to do more, just like you cut, customers are asking us to do more. They're great customers. We want to diversify. But a lot of these products are outside of our core competency. So we are buying from somebody else that can can source these products. Or we're asking to deliver turnkey solutions, which people aren't familiar that just means a furnish install as opposed to just a furnish option we're subcontracting that install piece which we still do because we don't want to be in the install game but i think what i'm really looking forward what i know we're looking to do right now is not necessarily increase revenue even though that's that's great we're trying to do both but really it's decrease our costs. And how do we do that? It's by cutting out a lot of these middlemen that we've been using because we we didn't have the direct contacts to go direct mm-hmm. to source some of these products outside of our core competencies. So now that we're saying, okay, we can we can supply lumber precast pipe to name a few things. And there are some other products that are um, they're 
similar in nature or supportive of, of what of the projects we're looking to do or with what we're selling right now. How can we form relationships direct with the manufacturer and not that middleman and become a distributor, one of maybe their exclusive distributors? So those we're trying to get ourselves into positions now where we're going direct to the source and knocking out the middleman, not in all cases. In some cases, that middleman is so important because, for instance, we work with some larger companies who are the middleman. There maybe even sometimes where we could go direct. There are certain instances where we can't because we don't have the credibility or haven't formed that connection. But even some, because they've got the manpower to, whether it's read plans and create takeoffs of the plans or whatever that looks like. So in some cases, it makes sense. But a lot of times right now, we've got to figure out how we can now form connections to be a direct distributor for manufacturers. So that's where my mind is, because when you're able to do that as a distributor or a supplier, all of a sudden, your profit margins increase big time. Risk goes up, but profit margin goes up. That's right. So that's I'm so glad you said that, because <clears throat> there was any number of things that were going through my head as you were laying that out. And, you're, and that's exactly so... I think in general in life, return is commensurate with risk. So in that moment, you're buying inventory, right? Mm -hmm. The risk that we're talking about is is the inventory or whatever you have to do to get to that next level. The other thing you said was really fascinating too was about differentiation. You said, well, there are times when we could actually go buy direct, but someone's doing something, a takeoff, right, is something that we talk about a lot. And that's a differentiator for that particular person that keeps you shopping there. So the differentiation piece is really interesting. You said a bunch of things in there. I was like, oh, that's right. But that's differentiated. Mm -hmm. That's why you continue to shop there. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, you're not ready to take on that risk. Some of it's just that these jobs are so, you know, could be so big that you stay there because the financial backing of that partner is what you need from them. The differentiator might be sheer dollars that they have to, to, to put towards it, which is just another way of saying risk. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are all interesting, interesting points. I mean, I'm hoping there's some audience members that are listening to this going, okay, you know, yes, absolutely. But it's not just as easy as that. You have to be completely dialed in and do the diligence on the risk component because that extra five, 10, 15, whatever points of margin come with some type of commitment and generally in the form of risk. Absolutely. Um, and financial risk, d definitely. And worth mentioning, I mean, I distribute, so a, a manufacturer, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we are aligning those partnerships right now. It's taken us seven years to get there. Why? Because if you're a manufacturer and you're creating a great product, whether, whether, whatever that it may be in any industry, you're only going to partner or align yourself with great distributors. So when you look at a company that's younger or just hasn't been around sure. as long, yeah. like, they've got to they've got to value that that risk. Like, do we want to get in bed with with them? It's their product. They need to make sure their customers are are being served. The end users, I should say, which would be my customer, getting served. So anyway, that's again a long way of saying. We, we needed these seven years to be able to get to the point where, where manufacturers wanted us to be a distributor. Now we're, we're up, you know, playing against big, multi-billion dollar companies, mm -hmm. you know, and we have to be able to survive. And I think this is, it's worth saying, just because we are by far 
I mean, not even close to the smallest distributor for a lot of these manufacturers. There's something to be said as a smaller distributor um, and just being closer and more engaged. A lot of these other competitors, I will call them, that are also distributors, they've got so many more products or they're simply not as hungry because they don't have to be. Mm. There are all these things that you can leverage as a small business, as a distributor, where all of a sudden you become wildly valuable to this manufacturer. And typically it's going to be regionally or locally and maybe not national like some of the other competitors you're working with. But these guys are looking at local. I mean, they're all territorial sure. in nature. Yeah. So if the job's being done here. The job's being done here. That's right. right. And I, I, I think, you know, because we only have a limited amount of manufacturers we work with, and they are so critical to our business success, every single one of them, that profit margin means a hell of a lot more to me than it does to the big multi-billion dollar company. That works in our advantage if we scrap and we work hard and we're diligent. Right. Um, so I just think you know, a lot of smaller companies that are out there may be in the same positions because this is so relevant to so many other industries that want to source products direct. Like you can do it and you can definitely play the same game as some of the big boys and better. Well, I think the question you ask yourself is, and we touched on it already today is what's my differentiator, right? I mean, you just, you were talking about scrappy and, and the word you didn't put in there yet, but I knew you were going to is agile, you know, that agility, you know, you'd have to ask yourself if I'm going to compete here, what's my differentiator? Why, why would, why would my potential customer pick me over the behemoth, right? If, if, if I'm David and that's Goliath, what, what would be more attractive or differentiated about David where you'd say, you know what? Um, you might look a little riskier, if you will, just because of your size. And, and for whatever reason, some people may equate size, whether that's in revenues or buildings or people, exclusively as a, uh, an indicator of risk. It's not. It's not necessarily at all. So if I'm, if I'm in that moment, and I'm regardless of who you're competing with, because you might find other small companies that are incredible, right? And, they're, and they know exactly what their differentiation is, and they get that messaging to the customer faster, better than you do, then you're in trouble. Right? You you've lost that edge or you might have lost that opportunity. Well, we're going to be faster every time. Like I know that if, if there's five distributors regionally and that, that is with the particular project, I have, a product I have in mind, there is only five of us. We're going to be first to the customer every time. Now, are they going to go with us? They might have a longstanding rapport with some of these other distributors and the answer might be no, but we will get there faster because we're smaller and we're more agile and we're younger and we're hungry right now. Right. Um, but it does allow us, you know, we don't have all these levels of bureaucracy that we have to work with. We don't have to, it doesn't have to go through three people to get a purchase order out or approved or a quote out. You know, it's just, we don't have those layers. Sometimes that's not a great thing because you don't have all those checks and balances, but right. it does allow us to move faster. Or, or if you weren't back first, it would be because you were out of bandwidth that particular day, right? Because you didn't have as many people to, to, to put all that, um, demand over, right? So that, sure. that could be other piece too, but yeah, absolutely. The other thing that's interesting just about, uh, there was a uh, exercise that I did with my executive team, or I should say exercise. It's an ongoing, 
uh, component that we put in that we just, we called pigs. These are profit improvement goals. And I think for the longest time, and I didn't say a whole lot to them. It was, all right, you know, new idea. Here's what you're responsible for. Between now and our next meeting, each of you have to come up with a profit improvement goal uh, that we'll call pigs. And what do you think? Or what I mean, and I think for such a long period of time, and, or maybe by department, certain departments might cling on to something. For example, when I look at the ops group, I would imagine their first thing was, oh, cost. H- how do I how do I control cost? I have labor, I have material. What am I going to do to control cost? That's the only way that I can affect profit inside the organization. Versus, well, don't forget about the whole other side, which is. Is sales, sales right? right? What can you do just because you're in operations and you don't have the word sales on your business card? What can you do to affect sales? And back to our original conversation, I mean, would you see yourself um, selling more of the same product? So part of your thing was, well, it would be more of the same product. And if I could go direct and I could capture that margin, I could do it profitably and may have to make some investments along the way to support that. Um, or are there things that you think are close enough that you might create a new basket, you know, or, or something that was not in your exact lane today, lumber, um, plywood, you know, pipe, th- those pieces. Is there something close or just adjacent that you could pull in that that's of interest to, to growing the business that way? And even to, you know, diversifying. So if something you were to have a storm over here, right, the plywood market goes crazy, whatever could disrupt your business, that you'd have something over here that would that could be really helpful if, if times got a little difficult. Yes, absolutely. And we look at all those things. You know, we there are a lot of different pathways to get there. So one, reduce reduce costs, go direct to manufacture, um, increase profit margin. The other one is sell more of what we're selling right now, increase revenue. The other one is diversify our product line, which you're alluding to. And then the other one too, which we're also looking at is opening, it could be other locations. So expanding our footprint. Right. Geographic. Geographic or... It could be doing something completely outside of our lane and adding it to maybe, I shouldn't say completely, it's going to be synergistic in some way, like automation was to your packaging, Mm -hmm. but it might not, it it might be, maybe we're adding an install team or, you know, something in that nature. That's, that's not happening, but (laughs) you get my drift. Yeah. Um, I think you've been there, right? Yeah, we, we've been there and that is no longer. <laughs> yeah, intolerable from a risk perspective and all of it. All of it. Yeah. And we, we, uh, so what we're talking about is when, when Britt and I first met, she actually had a general contracting business and wouldn't just um, supply butt furnish. I mean, you, what was the first job? You built a restaurant, right? For Actually, the very first job was a office space for a food delivery company. And then it was, we did a couple of restaurants and then we did a bunch of hospital work. Uh, Then we did an office for Salvation Army. We did quite a bit. It was, it was all interior tenant improvement work, but yes, that, that general contractor side, I intentionally dissolved that after about two and a half years, I think three years. But that's interesting because you asked me the question about um, automation where yes, we were subcontracting that work out and as, as it continued, our, our partners got less and less reliable, and I made the decision to actually double down and create it and go into it, which I think, I think I don't know, which we got right. 
but you made the exact opposite choice, right? Your move could have been, well, I'll just go hire my own crews and I'll just get actually directly into the, the general contracting or construction business. And you made, I think, the exact right choice too in saying, no, 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 that's not where we want to go. That's not uh, going to be acceptable from a risk perspective. I think the growth trajectory is to go heavier into the supply side and stay away from furnish or anything that install. looks like labor. Yeah, install. Um, sorry, my bad. Uh, any, or the install or even pure construction work, which I think you got right. That was an interesting uh, pivot point, and, and that was very early in our relationship. Two reasons that made it a little bit easier. <laughs> That's right. I got to say, I just said, and that was really early in our relationship. Like, I mean, someone would have been like, remember, you decided that you wanted the right side of the bed. And yeah. That was early in our, our relationship. relationship. And I was like, you remember to exit. You decided to exit general contracting <laughs> earlier in our relationship. Yeah, true. Those are our milestones. <laughs> but <laughs> but oh, this is so true. Um, but you're giving me a little bit more credit than I deserve. Now, it was the best decision I ever made. I mean, less manpower, less liability, the insurance piece, so many things. But A, I never wanted to get into the contracting business, but I had people that formerly I had a relationship with when I was working for a general contractor and they're like, hey, our relationship was not with the company, it was with you. Can you do this? And being so freaking hungry for business and scared out of yeah. my mind, I was like, yes, I can do that. The answer is yes. The the answer question. Is, so then uh, <laughs> next thing I know, I look around, we have a general contracting business that was never supposed to be. I was always starting with selling lumber. Right. So that was not intentional to start with. But stay on that because the interesting thing is despite not being, not really being interested in it, but oh my gosh, you have, you have some demand. I'll figure out the supply. Continue on to the conversation that actually sealed, it was the final decider of why you said, oh hell, here's the, here's the reason I've been looking for to get away from this. And, and one of your customers gave it to you. Sure. Tell them. And, and I will also tell you the, um, what we did, what, so I hired, I forget how I met him, but I had uh, one, no, two guys, and I project managed. I like lived at the bars and stuff we were working at, and at that or wherever we were. And then you I were building them. I I was like project managing. <laughs> you just said them. I lived at the bars. I just want to make sure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the I bars. I was really true. Uh, I should have been drinking at the same time, but and then the two guys did the work. So I was project managing. They were doing the work, and we did. It was just the, the three of us, and they would sometimes bring in some other guys that they knew. And we would just get it done. And it was, that that's how we did it for a couple of years until I ended up partnering. But yeah, it was all just partnerships and me bringing guys on. But the last conversation that you are referring to that was the, you know, you have these moments in your life that just change everything. They mm -hmm. change the trajectory of what your trajectory. Oh, this trajectory. Yeah, gotcha. It's hard to say was when we had a customer at that time and they were a customer on our supply side. They were, because you have to think about this, so our customers on the supply side are were general contractors. Yep. So our customers were also our competitors, which in in hindsight, yeah, of course, it's a that's a conflict, but I wasn't thinking of it like that. We were so small and we were doing, relatively speaking, so few projects. But one of our customers on the supply side said, hey, listen, I'm buying products from you and I'm starting to have a hard time with it because I'm, I am funding and fueling 
a, a competitor. And I thought to myself, you are a multi, multi-million dollar company doing massive projects. I'm doing a little restaurant down the street here right. trying, to, trying to survive. Like, we are not competitors. But in their eyes one day we would be. Yeah. So that was the final, like, okay, if if my customers on the supply side are starting to have a hard time with this and I could potentially lose those, now I've got to make a decision. And it was maybe one of the greatest conversations I had because it changed what, it changed my business for the better. And that's when I was really able to dig in. You know, when I was doing the GC side, I mean, that takes all of your time. There's mm-hmm. so much to it. That was when I was really able to dig into the distributor side, the supply side, and and build that business. Well, yeah, you be, you effectively become a slave to the schedule. I mean, you, and you end up looking like a shift worker, if you will, because you're following construction schedules, right? You end up working or living the life of, oh. of someone that's on the job because you have to be there when they are. And all of your flexibility and and uh, and the things that you love about running your own business are, are somewhat stolen from you if that's the, the choice that you, you make to go in that direction. Well, let's be honest. We don't really, if you run a business, you don't really have a lot of, you're on, you're, you're always on the clock. So I'm not sure it makes much of a difference, but what I will say, but at least you can, but with no, with no flexibility and schedule that that's even, that's even worse than working 24 seven. I mean, we were doing (laughs) hospital work, so it was weekends. It was middle of the night with things go wrong. We needed, I can't think of this, but you know, it's clean air. You need certain equipment. I mean, it was, it it was a lot with a very limited amount of people doing it. So anyway, it was a great decision, and that conversation was transformational in the business. But it's it's those certain – if you look through your business, you know, it's interesting how you can pinpoint those certain conversations mm-hmm. and be like, wow, that simple five-minute conversation changed the direction of the business. That also might have been – you and I talked through that a lot. That might have been one of our early duo moments, if you will, where I was looking at that too. And I think it's because I – watched you go to a hospital in a really uh, challenged part of town at three o'clock in the morning and thought on a, on, it was like a Sunday or Saturday. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it was a, um, I, I have not thought about that since. That's right. And I was like, uh, <laughs> click, click, click. Are you still alive? Please tell me you're okay. It was like yeah. every 10 minutes and yeah, I thought, oh absolutely. boy, yeah, I'm not, not really a big fan <laughs> of this. So, Very yeah. true. It's one of our early collaborations. It is. So I don't know if I ever even answered that. I, 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 Went on my own little uh, rant there. I'm not sure if I actually answered the question, which which the growth strategy is for us and and which bucket we're going to be filling as far as how are we going to build. And I think the question is all of it. All of it are options. I don't know. I've I've never really been someone that said in five years we're going to be this, five years we're going to be this, even a year. Right. I don't know. I, I just know that we do the best at what we're doing now and we see what organically transpires and then we lean in to what looks like great opportunities. Yeah, I think the, uh, I heard it put very, very simply along the way it was, um, it's going to be what the customers want it to be. Right. I mean, that's, right. and that's whether that's speaking to the demand component we've talked about, but it's going to be what the customers want it to be. And, you know, your job's to, to listen to that. And, and I guess the other thing I would say, question for you, too, because this is something that I had to consider in the automation component. One of the one of the things that kept me from jumping in with both feet. Right. I was I was incredibly tired and frustrated of saying, well, we can't. Uh, you know, we basically no, we tap out there. We're not. One of the barriers was we didn't have that skill set. 
in our company, right? I mean, easily, if I look over and say, I'll give you a case in point, like right now we are considering doing some packaging for someone. And it's as simple as putting cans in a box, not a big deal. But I look at that and go, okay, you know, we, we know how to do that. And we have manpower and the assets are very well aligned to say, sure, I'm not sure if we'll do a ton of it, but good customer. We have, Mm -hmm. you know, we're basically selling manpower here anyway. Right. So yeah, of course that was a completely different animal. I didn't have mechanical engineers and, and so on and so forth. I mean, I, I guess question to you would be, you know, Gosh, I mean, what what would that look like? Where you'd say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm willing to go build a team that has those superpowers to leverage that type of of opportunity." I, I, there's not one answer to that. I don't know. I don't know till I see, I see it. You know, it's just it's what just one of those things. It's it's brought to you and it and you evaluate it just like anything else. I mean, there's been a lot of those moments. It, we've been we bring a lot of opportunities, and there have been a lot that we've said no to, but there've been a lot we've said yes to. So. I think we just got to evaluate, evaluate and identify and be aware as, as they're brought to us. But the one interesting conversation I had the other day, and I might have mentioned this on last, last podcast, I can't, rem- I can't recall, was the opportunity to potentially open another office because there is a particular city where there's a lot of work going on and they see us being able to play a major role and even as a partner for them. So it was almost like, hey, if you come here, will be your safety net and like you automatically have business in us as a customer while you get up and running type of deal. And that is something I am very interested in. So if I'm looking at the the two strategies I'm most interested right now are one, potentially opening up another location, which is not going to happen immediately. There's a lot of work between here and there if it even happens, but that's one to be considered. And then two, it is wouldn't say to diversify products. It might be actually the opposite, which is honing in on the products we're selling right now. And in particular, a a particular project, which is heavy civil projects, highways, roads, bridges, and then creating stronger relationships with manufacturers within that very specific product and project space. Right to increase our profit margins. Those are the two avenues I think I'm, I see the most opportunity in right now. Hmm. Okay. But in two weeks, I could say something different. True. Because yeah. that's just how I, I, I work. <laughs> I am open to all opportunities. <laughs> now, what about you? Which part? Which part? What, what is your growth strategy right now? I'm, we're doing more of this. I mean, I you know we've been through an interesting more period. of what? More, well, just just in more that. podcasting. Yeah, more podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> more the, of this the, Mick Arnold podcasting is yeah is uh, is going to single handedly. The pay has been incredible so far, <laughs> yeah. so I figured I could just you know just stop selling bags of air and just do this full time. Not even close. Uh, listen, I mean, we're out of you, business goes in these cycles, right? And it's funny we were talking about piles, right, and constraints, you know. The evolution of a business, at least in my experience so far, and 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 not sure if this is particular to us or not, but you know, in my role, I'm really just a big project manager, and and looking for the constraints. Our last big, uh, yes, the business has been growing, and we've had some 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 great growth, but at the same time. Um, we were lacking in infrastructure. So whether it's the building and, and some of the things we've done, you know, we spent a lot of money creating supply. I feel like we're having a supply and demand conversation today a lot, uh, which is interesting because when you were just talking about going to another city, the short answer is 
well, there's supply down there. There's demand down there that's not being met. So I'm just going to go add supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the real simple thing. And, and, um, we've had to spend the last few years creating supply infrastructure, you know, whatever that is so that we can sell more product. And now that we have done that, it's sales, sales, sales. I mean, a lot of the, um, uh, the big chunk of our investment for the foreseeable future will be in the sales and marketing side of the business because we have all of this capacity that we've built and now we have to go fill it. And it's not ever this one or the other, you know, you're trying to do it all and time it all, you know, when's the perfect moment to bring on that machine that doubles your widget output or, you know, and it's the same exact conversations and scenarios we talk our customers through, we're going through it internally as well, right? I mean, when do we bring on, when do we double the widget production? Um, Because we know the market's going to want more widgets. Well, there's that very fine line because the widget production doesn't double by itself. You have to invest in some fashion. And usually while you're doing that, you're, um, you're making less money, right? Or you're, 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 that investment is, is sapping your profitability until you can get back over and, and sell more widgets again. So for us in this moment, it's about selling more, which is just simply creating more demand. I mean, we just keep it on supply and demand today. That's a, a cool, cool, cool thought because it really... I mean, it's economics 101, but it really does make the business world go around. If you just look around, um, what businesses are doing is creating supply to fill demand that they've identified. Would you consider, much like we are, ever expanding the Arnold packaging or Arnold automation or both footprint? Always, but I would say... uh, Yes, but not until in the in the in the short term. Not until I, I sense that there's anything that looks like market saturation, or we're done here. It's I'm not in any massive hurry to get on planes, trains, and automobiles and spread our resources. There's so much wonderful business here in the DMV that we don't have. There's lots of people buying packaging that we're not selling it to. Um, and you know, I, I think our we're head down and our marketing team, which our production team is our marketing team, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, we're head down on. On, on the print penetration piece to say, you know, why are you buying brand B when you could literally buy brand A um, and, and working on that? And, and because we know in this market with the assets that we have, transportation and so on and so forth, we're a very formidable competitor. Those are differentiators of ours. It becomes less hard to differentiate in another city or if you look at the investment that it takes, warehousing, so on and so forth. There's so much work to do right here in this market um, with these customers that, that I, I love. I mean, I love selling in our backyard. The people around here, what was the, uh, what did someone describe the difference between Washington and, uh, and, and Baltimore to us today? What did they say? Oh, Washington is... Where'd you go to school? No, 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 no. Oh, no, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Baltimore is what do you do in night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's right. And I just think, you know, as I look at the people that we sell to and the great relationships that we have, it's like that, you know, it's that uh, very, you know, texture, you know, there's so much such great texture around here and the people there's multi, you know, lots of generations here. I really love selling to people that are like that and want to partner with customers that look like that and, and value um, partnerships that that are are conducted that way. One other thing we didn't mention, which I'm really surprised, especially considering you've done this a couple of times already, is acquiring other businesses, which that's something I just definitely want to do in my lifetime. Um, Not just to do, you know, to learn the process and everything. Obviously, it's got to be the right company and make sense. But that's something I'm, you know, recently I've 
a couple of opportunities have been brought to my attention and haven't looked at any of them seriously. Mm-hmm. But I'm also always open to that if there's a particular company that does something really well. Um, that's that's another growth strategy and and probably the easier one. I mean, you can go ahead and build it from the ground up internally, but if some other company is doing it really well and you have the opportunity to acquire it, that's a sure way to grow if you do it right. Thank you. That, that being the key, I, it's not that easy, I <laughs> right. know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, to grow faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a faster way to book the revenue. It may or may not be profitable depending on the type of diligence that you do. And and you could end up, I mean, I, I've, I've had friends in business that have made acquisitions that took them out, you know, just because they either didn't do the diligence or they didn't see some of the risks that were out there. And, you know, we've, we've done two acquisitions along the way. And we're a small company, so obviously they weren't massive, they weren't massive acquisitions, but they were massive to us. And they were massive um, as a, you know, as a percentage of what we were doing and they had all the same type of, of risks. And if we had gotten it horribly wrong, it, it could have put us in jeopardy or at least set us back for a long period of time. So, I mean, I love acquisition. It's, you know, acquisitions are really interesting in today's world too. It, and, and they go in these ebbs and flows. We bought a company in 2011 and we bought a company in 2018. And what I remember about those, those periods of time, 11, we were on the backside of that first financial meltdown. And it was a time when a company our size could make an acquisition, right? The valuations of businesses were reasonable. There wasn't just this this massive amount of capital sloshing around like it is now and like it really was prior to the Fed moving interest rates. And 2018, the same. Like the, the market was on the rebound. Um, didn't know there was a pandemic right around the corner. But I would say if you're a company our size and you're trying to do acquisitions with just your resources and, you know, banks or so on, I mean, I'm not talking about private equity or, or venture capital or, or any type of those other capital sources where you're relying on the balance sheet of an 88-year-old business, you know, in 2000, 2011, we were 12 years younger, right? A 78-year-old business. And you are personally signing on the line and the failure might take your house, right? Mm. So those are the types of acquisitions I, I have been through. And, um, and but right now, valuations are still incredibly, incredibly high. And interest rates are incredibly, incredibly high. So this is a tough acquisition environment for a company like us, the way we acquire. You know, if I wanted to try to go out and command other people's money and, and sign on the line for those returns on investment, could certainly do it. But I, I think uh, right now, I love the organic path. We love, like you do, you know, going toe to toe and um, and penetrating our competitors' business and, and attempting to take it away from them. I mean, never opposed to... Uh, acquisition, but that particular mode where we are right now in this business climate, that's what our growth looks like. It's it's hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, I, I do like the idea if, if we were to do acquisition, doing it the way you did. I mean, when you start getting private equity and other money involved, you're captive to a lot of other people. And that is something that I, I just the, the freedom and autonomy of literally bootstrapping a business and having 100% control is 
it's it's pretty amazing. Um, I'm not saying I'm I'm not opposed to doing it differently at some point, but not right now. Yeah. Um, but I think on the acquisition side, it depends what your goal is, right? How fast do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a way where you can grow a hell of a lot faster. I mean, actually, if you do it all yourself, you're probably you may never get, even get there. It's it's too much. I mean, think about how long it's taken us to build our businesses. If sure. you want to expand and get into all these things, I mean, you 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 might not be able to do it by yourself. But you can get there through acquiring businesses, but it depends what your goals are and what you're looking to do. Yeah, so that's a great point. Like, I mean, simple one, why grow? I mean, what what so what are your what are your motivations behind growth? I mean, everyone's like, gotta grow, gotta grow, gotta grow. Okay. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, there was a sign we had hanging around our other buildings along the way. We don't have it here. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying, you know, things along those lines. So at your core, what is your motivation behind growth? Mm-hmm. Sure, that's <laughs> that's always the question. I'm asking. It you. Is uh, what is it? Yeah. Um, good question. I mean, for us, we're growing because we have custom. We're our, we're growing our customer base. They're asking for more things. If we don't grow, we are going to have to turn away a lot of work, which. You can do that. I I don't. I think there's so much demand out there to be fulfilled that we're not fulfilling. So I want to grow just because the demand's there. Um, well, there's got to be some kind of fulfillment, though, right? I mean, you're of course, absolutely. Gotta, but and I don't. I'm, and I already know the answer to this. But I mean, what's the fulfillment? I mean, for me, I can't stay stagnant. Like I, I don't. I I want to grow because I am driven by. Um, I'm driven by challenge, by achievement, by, you could say some, some of it's ego-based for sure, and I would tell you you're absolutely, that's part of it. I'm, I'm, I, is that in the front of my head, like, I want to do this for me? No, but of course, like, as you said, I could probably stay the way we are. I mean, live comfortably, do really well, not have all the stress of continuing to grow, um, but that's just not in my DNA. I, yeah. don't, I, I don't know. That's like, I have to have, as we talked about, some kind of what's the next boulder, what's next. It was like that that keeps me going like that that adrenaline that drive it might kill me too seriously yeah and is in some ways but (laughs) it's also like if i don't have that in my life i just don't feel as energized and i well, the one thing you never said in that entire answer was money. That was never a fulfillment piece. Oh, it's, piece. it's, it's not. Right? That's just not it. And then the other thing I know about you, it would also be the idea, because, you know, our, one of our favorite questions is, um, do you love to win or hate to lose? And it, and it the simple way like you'd say, what you said now was, well, if, not, if I'm not winning, then I'm losing and I hate losing because we both are hate to lose. We're both hate to lose people. I don't know. I love to win, too. Do you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you, lo- you do, but you never stop to celebrate. No, but I, I, that's a hard question. I can't, I can't choose. <laughs> well, you just chose. What? Oh, you said you love to win too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I walk the fence on that one, but all I know is I am so inspired and invigorated by just going, going, going. And the second I stop, I don't, I, I, I don't even feel like myself. Yeah. And again, sometimes that's totally to the detriment of health, other things like that, where at some point, it might be like, holy shit, you got to figure this out yeah. because I, I have those other challenges, too. But it's just 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 who I am, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, how about you? I could I, if I turn that question on you, why would you say do you a you want to grow? Right. 
Yeah, I, I do. But, but it's funny, not, uh, you know, it, it, I think that's one interesting thing about when you, when you, when you do own your own business or, you know, you are effectively, I hate this term, but I'll use it here, you know, calling the shots. You do get to choose, right? I mean, uh, if, if growth is part of the strategy or is it more profitability? I mean, certainly for the business to thrive and, and, um, and provide for all the people that it needs to provide for, you have, you, you know, you need to grow just by virtue of things that it gets more expensive to run the business and so on and so forth. I mean, unless you can continually, um, work the profitability side of it exclusively, you're going to need to have some growth along the way. But yeah, I would say it's exactly the same thing for you, man. I, I, uh, I love taking care of the customers, right? I mean, that's, that's my, my favorite part is I, I love the solution side. I love the innovation side and I love the solving. And I've just found that in, in my career in the business is when we've done a good job of solving that the customers show up as a result of that and therefore they buy things and therefore we grow. It's not the other way around. It's like, I got to grow. What am I going to you to grow. It's almost more of this, this truly organic thing, which says, if we do the right things, you know, we build the right, we listen to the market and we create the right demand and deliver it the right way, then people are, they're absolutely going to buy it. And as a byproduct of that, we're going to grow, not the other way around. There are two other, other things while I'm, while I'm really thinking about while you were talking, some of the things you said triggered this. And while I'm really thinking about that question, why do you want to grow? So I've already spoke to the other parts of maybe it is a little ego, maybe it is a little selfish, all, all those things are just it being written to my DNA. Those are all true. There is actually the, the other side of it, which you're speaking about your customers. Two things for me are one, the ability to grow and hire more people and give other people a great quality of life and learning experience. And the more you grow, the more you can do that for a lot of people. Like that is incredible. Again, very stressful when you're thinking about you are in in charge of people's livelihoods. They're them, their kids, their families like that. It's, it's a lot of added stress, but there is nothing more rewarding than knowing you're giving people a really great quality of life so that is one thing the growth and being at higher more like I love that and right. I think about it you know how much I think about well, what can we do for the for our for our employers our teammates and all that's constantly on my sure. mind so that and the other thing too from a growth perspective is when you start to grow obviously you your your name you're more exposed in your communities and all of a sudden your platform is growing and I say platform from which now you can you you have a voice right you have your company becomes credible more people know who you are you're more exposed all of a sudden you've got this foundation from which you can utilize for other things all of a sudden whether it's on um in the, in the community you have a voice now mm -hmm. that is heard a little bit more than when you didn't have this thing called Arnold packaging here now all of a sudden you're Mick Arnold and everybody knows who Arnold packaging is so you've just got a stronger voice that people inevitably are listening to which allows you to impact things on a greater level than you could before and I know that like my voice Prior to having Taylor Construction and Supply, I'm not saying people didn't listen, but they do listen a little bit more now. Sure. And I have a, a little bit more, um, I don't know if I know anything more, but all of a sudden my voice matters a little bit more to some people. Right. But if you can use that voice and now that, that you can have a greater impact on the things that matter. And I think you know how much you and I love certain things in our community where 
you know, it's how like deep I'm digging with Salvation Army right now and just doing as much as I can for that because the mission is, I, I mean, you, you see what they do in Baltimore. It's, oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. Their house for, um, women who have been sex trafficking, like they built, we built this brand new house. Anyway, it's, it's so rewarding and to be a part of that, but I only can be a part of that. I am only allowed to be on the board because I have a company. Had I not, like I just wouldn't been invited to be a board member. So, I mean, there is that part of me that's like, it just allows me and us as a company to have more of an impact because you just now have this platform. Yeah. And I, I, I knew that from the start, like that was always in my head. If you start to grow this thing, all of a sudden you're going to be able to do more. You're right. going to be able to touch more lives. Yeah, well, you get more influence, which makes you an influencer. That, I think that was the word I, I was it, searching for yeah, the whole time. Yeah, an influencer. I, I hate that. Oh, the influencer. No, no, stupid. that's. But I think, unfortunately, somehow that got assigned to people on YouTube doing things that, like showing their asses. Yeah, now you're an yeah, influencer. Yeah, yeah exactly right. You show your, I mean, I show my ass my entire career. No one ever called me an influencer, <laughs> um, and all the mistakes I made. But yeah, no, I think if you know if you can get that influence, but you're right, unfortunately. Unfortunately, if you don't make some noise in your space and gain some cred, you don't even get an invite to be able you to don't get, get to the platform. Because there are so many people that probably have way more to say that's way much value than you and I. That's true. But they don't have a company and they just unfortunately haven't been invited to the table. Right. And that's just... We could work on that. I mean, how do we, uh, what can we do to create that, to create that megaphone for people that may not have it otherwise? Maybe we could do it here on the platform. Find some people we think are interesting, or uh, maybe at some point we can. But invite still, some you're going to hear on. about them because of for some reason. I, I I don't I don't know if there's a solution to that or not. I'm not I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just saying. We you know you and I are fortunate enough in our travels to meet a lot of really interesting people that haven't that, that are just they're just smart and they're wise and they're interesting and don't know about platforms or haven't necessarily sought one out at this particular point. We'll uh, we should keep our eyes open for those folks. And bring them on so that the world could listen to them because they may not get a megaphone otherwise. But that is, that is the goal, I think, if for people that do have a business and want to do really great things, just think of it now. Well, now you have a platform to launch from to be able to impact. Like, just don't sit there and do your business thing. Like, use it to do other good things. Right. Yeah, it takes, you can always do it. Like, for me to be doing it even seven years in now, it's really hard. Like, I, it's very hard to have the time to do to do those other things, but, um, it's important. And in the second, when you are at a point, certainly where you are now, where you can to not lever you launch off of that from, from what you've built would be, um, would be a shame. Yeah. And it, and I will, will say too, back to your, you know, if there's people listening, interested, it's such a great environment to do it now. I mean, I remember, you know, in my thirties, someone told me get published, you know, that was something get published, get published. And, and it stuck with me and I, I love writing anyway. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is write and I was able to, and I found some small publications or I submitted some whatever. Now you have all these platforms where you can put yourself into a subject matter expert position, whether you're just doing it on LinkedIn or you're doing it on whatever your, your megaphone of choice is. It's so much easier now to get yourself into that position and create and, and build yourself as a, a subject matter expert. You need to be very smart about how you do it, appropriate credibility. Um, that's one that it's, you don't want to fake that until you become it in a public forum or a public, a forum as public as some of those. But gosh, it's easier and easier to, I mean, the megaphones are laying around everywhere. You just need to pick one up and say something that matters. Yeah, I too agree. 
that sounds like a man that sounds like a great place to end it right there yeah find your megaphone pick it up say something that matters boom 